What's up, friends? We're going to be reading in John chapter 5, verses 19 through 24 tonight. I'll give you a second to turn there. I'm going to be reading out of the ESV, so if you want to follow along in that translation or compare it with whatever one that you have. I'm going to go rogue for a second while you turn there and read another verse. The very last verse in, in the book of John, John says, Now there are also many other things that Jesus did. Were every one of them to be written, I suppose that the world itself could not contain the books that would be written. But what a sweet thing that we do have some of the things that Jesus did and that he said that are written down. So we'll turn our attention, starting in verse 9. So Jesus said to them, Truly I say to you, the Son can do nothing of his own accord, but only what he sees the Father doing. For whatever the Father does, that the Son does likewise. For the Father loves the Son and shows him all that he himself is doing. And greater works than these will he show him, so that you may marvel. For as the Father raises the dead and gives them life, so also the Son gives life to whom he will. For the Father judges no one, but has given all judgment to the Son, that all may honor the Son, just as they honor the Father. Whoever does not honor the Son does not honor the Father who sent him. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life. He does not come into judgment, but is passed from death to life. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks, Colin. Hey, do me a favor. So many of you come in, you're just like 100 miles an hour, you've had a busy day, and you're like, I made it. Just for a minute or two, people came in while you were singing, they came in, like maybe you came in, and, uh, and you don't know who's around you, just take like 30 seconds. You can stand up, say hello to the people around you, do that just for a minute, it's always good to do. Good to say hello to a few people. So many of you are... are are new to Christ's covenant. I mean, the church isn't very old anyway, but just your, I appreciate the fact that most all of you have not forgotten what it's like to be the new kid in the lunchroom. And so like when you come in, you probably haven't been coming that long, but you've probably made a few friends if you've been here for a couple of months, a few months. And so all of a sudden you can tell like, oh, it's their first time. And hopefully if it is your first time, you're one of those that you're like, People were nice to me. Um, and if not, like, give us another week or two. I think you'll find that, like, folks are just incredibly welcoming here. And I hope we never lose that. I just, I appreciate that about you. I hope you're like that when you're at work. I hope you're like that when you're with your family. Um, I just, I'm really grateful for just the, the, the generousness of your ability to kind of share yourselves and your smiles and conversations. I just really appreciate that about you. So we've been doing this series for uh, about a month now. And it's, it's on the will of God. The will of God is a giant subject. For 2,000 years, Christians have talked about how do we know the will of God? There were major councils that gathered together saying, how do we make sure we canonize the books that are the will of God? How do we come up with creeds that exhibit the will of God? Uh, how do we have church structures that exhibit the will of God? How do we, have, um, how do, we do church membership? How do we do uh, worship? How do we do uh, just all the, all the different parts? Even a wedding ceremony a Christian wedding ceremony, all of it is this attempt to say, 
if the Lord were to step out of heaven, if God the Father were to step out of heaven and say, this is how you do it explicitly, something that's not clearly outlined in the Bible that we would say, oh, we, we followed your word, we were led by your spirit, we were in agreement in a Christian community, and we did that. And so that's, that's the big picture of how do we know the will of God And this. Just know you're in good company as you wrestle with finding the will of God. I know for a fact there's a few of you in the room that are either about to run out of a job or you're deciding on is this the right job. Like this probably won't be the last time you have that. So you'll get to go through this all over again. Congratulations. Uh, and, and then about the time you get settled in, more than likely you'll have a kid or two and they will be going to work or you'll be forcing them to go to work, something along those lines, and you'll get to relive it. And then one day probably you'll be a grandparent and then you'll just laugh at everybody. And so you'll be like, ah, you'll be fine. I remember I was in a real stressful spot with, with a job one time working in ministry, thinking about, I was actually thinking about coming here and what that would look like. And one of, this, one of the old guys that I worked with, super godly, his, all of his advice to me was, Thomas, you love the Lord. You'll land on your feet. And then he walked off. I was like, that's it? That's all I get? Uh, and so just know, wrestling for the will of God is a beautiful and painful but very normal part of the experience of being a follower of Christ. And so John 5.19 has been this background verse, the whole series. I really haven't talked about it much, but it's always been in the background. It's been on the leading slide every week. It's been just this, this verse that I was like, this whether, whether I say it or not, I just wanted it to be present visually for you so that you know this was kind of the, the backdrop that inspired this whole idea these last few weeks. The, the verse, Colin read it as, we, as he started reading. He said, so Jesus said to them, truly, truly, I say to you, the son can do nothing of his own accord, but only what he sees the father doing. For whatever the father does, that the son does likewise. And I was just so inspired. And at the same time, maybe like a little bit defeated when I read this verse. Because we're not into like Christian self-help, but there is a tension in the scriptures of I am saved to become transformed, uh, to be more and more like Christ. And this is how Christ lived. He only did what the Father told him to do. And you could say, oh, well, he was completely divine. He was, but he was also fully human. And so on one hand, we marvel at this. We thank God for this. On the other hand, we say, Lord, is that possible for somebody like me? And I think the tension is real and it should be both of these things. And by the way, had he done anything of his own accord, apart from the heart of the Father, he would not be worthy to be called our Savior. Let me just say it as plain as I can. He never made a bad choice, and that made him perfect. Now, that is unbelievable. And so while the bar is high, 
And it's not intended to be lowered as a disciple who is becoming more and more like their rabbi. It is also an impossible standard. And thank God, literally, that one lived up to it. Now, the purpose of this series has not been, the the ultimate goal has not been better decision making. Um, If that was it, I would have like done it in a secular setting and charged admission and it would have been amazing. Um, But the the goal is not better decision making. The goal is to be closer to Jesus through making better decisions. And to know the will of God, we have to know, among other things, the word of God. And so so then we got into, these past few weeks, we got into what are the types of God's will? And I listed three of them. And if you were here, great. And if not, you can can take notes and you can write these down or refresh your memory and jot these down. There's three main types of the will of God. There's the decreed will of God. There's the desired will of God. And there's the directional will of God. And I'll go ahead and get to the punchline. Most everybody who walks in these doors and is wanting to know God God's will for their life is not looking at number one or number two. They have gone directly to number three. They want to know, do I buy that year, make, and model of car? Do I date and marry that person? Do I break up with them? Do I take this position at this company? But to get to the directional will of God, which is God's specific will for your life, for Connor Beecham's life, his specific will for Connor's life, or Thomas Nelson's life, or, uh, or Robin's life. Like, he, he, he's got this specific will, and he does. He does. You're no cookie cutter. You're, you're fearfully and wonderfully made. And he has this, a purpose for you. But to get there, we have to understand that God is sovereign. And he has established things that cannot be broken. He has decreed them from before the foundations of the earth. And you or I, no matter how hard we try, no matter what we do, we will not stop that plan. And then God chose to give us his desired will for all people and how all of us relate with each other and how we relate with him. And we find that in today's world through this book. This is his desired will for all people to relate to each other and to him. It's after We embrace the desired will of God. We revere the decreed will of God that we can start to get into the realm of this idea of the directional will of God. But you can't skip the first part and expect the second or the third part to just happen. So then... We went into three parts of the will of God. We talked about the word of God, the spirit of God, and the people of God. And all three of those come together to help us understand daily how to have this directional will of God. But we have to understand the power of the word of God. And we have to understand the leading of the spirit. We have to understand the purpose of a community of Christian believers gathered around. And so we said in the first week, well, what is the Bible? Well, we said a few things. One is that the Bible is is nourishment. It is more valuable than real food. Even if we do have Chick-fil-A out there, it's getting cold Um, but I I may have gotten all eaten, but Jesus said that you can't live by bread alone, but by every word that comes out of the mouth of God. Second Timothy, Paul tells Timothy, he says, hey, the Bible, it's useful for teaching, 
reproving, correcting, training in righteousness. Hebrews 4.12, this is a fascinating verse. It says that this book is dynamic and it is not static. It is living and active. That's why maybe already you've heard a verse tonight that you've known for five years, but all of a sudden it pierced your heart. That's the Holy Spirit using his word in a fresh and powerful way in your life. And then we said that the, the, maybe the coolest thing about the word of God is that Jesus became the word in the flesh. And every part of his being was this book lived out. The word of God in the flesh an incredible mystery that is worth trying to plumb the depths of. After that, we went into the Holy Spirit and how the desire of the Holy Spirit is to unite. This is so cool. The desire of the Holy Spirit is to unite the deepest part of you, the part of you that like only really you know. There's still parts of me and still parts of Heather. Heather may not agree with this. I don't know where she is. She's back here somewhere. Um, Maybe it's best that I don't know where she is. Okay, here we go. There's still times that it is very hard for me to to bear the deepest parts of my soul to Heather. This August, we will have been married 22 years. Got married when we were 14. I'm just kidding. <laughs> the, this, we, 22 years this August, and there's still times that it makes me nervous because what is she's gonna see a really weak and broken person? And I think the same for her. Sometimes it's like, I'm going to tell him this. I'm going to, I'm going to show him this part of me deep in my soul. But the Holy Spirit knows the deepest parts of me and still loves me, still likes me even. It's the same for you. And so the Holy Spirit also knows the deepest parts of the Father. Plumb the depths of the, of the heart of God. And the Holy Spirit is not there to give you a sign of this is your parking spot. This this is the path you should take to go to work today. Now, does he do things like that? I think he probably does. I believe in the leading of the Holy Spirit. I think the Bible teaches that. But that's not the primary goal of the Holy Spirit. The primary goal of the Holy Spirit is to connect the deepest part of me and you to the deepest part of God the Father. And there's this beautiful verse that 2 Corinthians concludes with. It says that the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God the Father, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit. And it just shows us that the the Holy Spirit is the one who ties us all together. We're empowered by the grace of Christ, but the Holy Spirit unites us with the love of the Father. Then last week, we got into... What is community? And we, we used uh, 1 Corinthians 15, which says that bad company corrupts good morals. And if you take that verse and go from English, bad company corrupts good morals, and you translate it into Greek, it's a word picture. And the picture is that if you are influenced by bad community, the word picture is there's a group of angry men outside of your home. And if you open the door to your home, they will come in and they will ruin where you live. And then we said, okay, so what is good company? 
And godly community, good company, gives advice that leads to reconciliation, restoration, the gospel, the glory of God, kindness, goodness, even if it's tough advice. Godly community, yes, may go to Jenny's every Friday with you. Amen, I heard that. (laughs) But godly community will also tell you when you're slipping away. And then they'll go find you with the love of a good shepherd leading them. Worldly community gives advice that leads towards retaliation, self-aggrandizement, personal rights. And that's what you're inundated with all the time. And so when you combine all three of these, the word of God, the desired will of God, the Holy Spirit connecting us to the heart of the Father and the heart of us and melding us together in relationship with him, and you couple those two with godly community, it's going to be really hard for you to slip very far outside of the will of God. Whether it's buying the car or dating the girl or taking the job. You see, God wants us to know his will more than you and I want to know his will. And he's put these three in union with one another to help his people walk with him. And so we go back to John 5, 19, and we see Jesus, who was the word, but also memorized the word. Jesus, who who communed with the Father through the Spirit. And the three, the triune God, the three in one, have this community of fellowship that is good company. And therefore, he only does the will of the Father, nothing of his own accord. And so what I told you in the group me, I'm going to tell you right now. The two most essential principles for knowing the will of God in any and every circumstance are this. Number one, we remember whose will we're looking for. And number two, we remember the whole point of the will of God is relationship with God. It's not the job or the person or the car or any other thing. Now, these may sound super simple. My mom called me today, um, Tuesdays, I like lock myself away and I, I write the sermon and do a bunch, of, a bunch of work on this. And she called and she said, what are you talking about? And I said, we're talking about the will of God. And she said, oh, that's a big one. And I was like, I know it is. And I said, here, here we go, mom. This is what I think. I think most people never get past this first step. She said, what's the first step? And I said, I, I think, and step's the wrong term for it, but it's just easy to say. So I'm just gonna say it's a little sloppy, but just, just bear with me here. Most people never get past looking for their own will. And what they do is they make God their little God. He's like the genie in Aladdin. He fits inside a little lamp and you carry him where you want. And he might play a joke on you here and there, but in general, he'll do what you need. Most people never, most Christians never get to the place where They say, not according to my will. 
I mean, Jesus said it, like he set it up in the Sermon on the Mount. Uh, uh, our guest Ben, uh, or a couple of weeks ago, um, he came and, and he was sharing and he talked about how in the Sermon on the Will, that, or the Sermon on the Mount, that Jesus says, this is how you pray. Uh, and in that prayer, Jesus says, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. The goal is not my will. And most people never get past that. Some people spend years fighting God tooth and nail for something he never intended for them. And then they're disappointed that he wouldn't do it. His plan was never that all along. And so the second one though, the second, once you get past number one and you realize it is about God and I'm not the main character, once you get past that, the second one becomes a joy. And you realize no matter what, come hell or high water, I get to commune with God all through the blood of Christ. This is unbelievable. And so let me just demonstrate it with another passage that actually comes one chapter after this one. This is Jesus' words in John chapter 6. And so one chapter later, Jesus is still talking about will. And he says, for I have come down from heaven, and what does he say? Not to do my own will. But, he says, I came down from heaven to do the will of him who sent me. So, he's not doing his own will, he's doing the will of him, God. And this is the will of him who sent me, that I should lose nothing. Now, this is very interesting. This is the will of him who sent me that I should lose nothing of all that he has given me, but raise it up on the last day. This is the will of my Father, that everyone who looks on the Son and believes in him should have eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. Now, I think this is very, very important for us to see, because everybody wants to know what, the, what, the, what God's like, special plan for you is. Um, everybody wants to know, like, what is the directional will of God? Well, Jesus shows you in this verse that he has the directional will of God for him. But I want you to see the process here. What he does is he understands very clearly that it is not his will, but it is the Father's will. Well, how does he know that? Well, he has, he has an understanding of the decreed will of the Father. He is the Word and knows the Word, so he understands the desired will of the Father. And so he realizes his mission on earth is not about him. It's all about God. And therefore, he, he lives in God's will and in relationship continually, can I spell that? Relationship. And so what happens once he does that? He lives in relationship with God's will. Uh, he understands God's will. He lives in relationship with the Father. Therefore, God gives him a ministry. And his ministry is what I underlined in purple. And what happens to you when you do this? You don't get God's Sorry, I can't do two things at once. You don't get God's so much directional will for your life. What you end up getting is better. You don't get buy the car, date the girl, take the job. What you actually get is a ministry. 
You get a purpose that's specifically tailored for you. When Jesus realized at, at five, six, seven years old, however old he was when he, when he became aware that he was the incarnate son of God and he began to cultivate that relationship with the father and he grew into that and memorized the scriptures and followed the father and skipped away from his parents so that he could be in his father's house and be closer to him. Jesus was, had died to himself and embraced that this is all about the father and that it was his job to serve the father. And in the process, it became clear Maybe it was when he was studying Isaiah 53 that his job was to be the sacrificial lamb that we might live. So because Jesus did the first couple of things, he understood this is my ministry. And I'm not gonna get into this verse, but if you, want, if you really want to find out what your ministry is, which again is better than, than, God's, than God's special directional will for your life, you need to live out 1 Thessalonians 4.3. If you want to understand his, his will, specific directional will for your life, well, then I guess I am going to get into this first. Then you need to understand that the will of God, first and foremost, for you as a Christian is your sanctification. What does that mean? More and more. I'm writing like a kindergartner. Like... Jesus, There's your, that's, that's what sanctification is. It's not more and more disciplined. It's not a tougher and tougher life. The will of God is that you become more and more like Christ. And Jesus was communing with the Father. He had joy to the full. These things become a part of you. And once you, once you start that process of becoming more and more like Christ, and part of that is abstaining, part of that is abstaining from sexual immorality, controlling your own body and holiness, not transgressing and wronging your brothers or sisters in the matter of sexual purity. When you start to do that, Not worry about the car or the job or the girl or the other stuff. When you start to do this, God, I want to honor you with my body. I want to honor my brothers and sisters. What you might not find is take this job or that job or that car or that person out. What you might find is something much greater, and that is, I think I'm learning what my purpose is. And, and what happens when this starts to come to light, it's what Paul says in Acts 20, 24. He says, I don't count my life of any value nor as precious to myself, only what? That I may finish my course and the ministry that I received from the Lord Jesus Christ. Paul knew his whole purpose in life. You could have woken him up at two in the morning, shook him awake, even after a shipwreck getting bitten by serpents and stuff. You probably could have shaken him at two in the morning and said, Paul, what are you here for? And he would say, my whole existence is to testify to the gospel of Jesus Christ to the Gentiles. And I'm on my way to Rome to make sure I can get that message to as many Gentiles as possible. And you know what? Paul, Paul got his directional ministry which helped him understand the will of God. 
and he could say it in a sentence. Let's just hit pause real quick. I'm not going to ask you to do this because probably most of us can't. But if you've been a Christian for two, four, six, ten years, you've been walking with God. You've been going, let's say you've been going to church for the last two and a half years. You've heard like a lot of sermons. My voice is probably boring by now. Will, they, I don't, I mean, they probably still love you. But like, you, you should, you should know your ministry. You should know like, this is what I'm here for. And it is beautiful when you know what you're here for. Timothy, Timothy knew his ministry. He was a young man. Paul says, as for you, always be sober-minded, endure suffering, do the work of evangelists, fulfill your ministry. He didn't even have to say what it was. He was like, Timothy, you know what I'm talking about. Timothy was like, yeah, I know what you're talking about. And then here's what happens. The girl, the car, the job, the boy, whatever, all those things. When you understand your ministry, when you have that directional will of God in your life, it creates this filter. And then every part of your life has to go into this filter. And this filter is your directional will given by God. And so the girl, the boy, the job, the car, the vacation, the thing, all of that stuff, if you know who you are in the Lord and why you're here, it instantly hits this funnel. And what comes out? Is the things of God. It's pretty easy. You start learning like, no, I don't do that. Yes, I will do that. Yes, I won't. No, I won't. Yes, I can. No, no, no. Like, you just know because you know this is what I'm here for. My job in life, the ministry that I have received from the Lord, is to help the next generation know, worship, and follow the real Jesus Christ. And if that is my job, that is the ministry given to me by the Lord, and somebody says, do you want to take this trip? and it's in no way going to help that thing, then nine out of ten times I'm like, no, I can't. And when I get in trouble is when I let things go through the filter that don't fit the ministry. And that has come from a long time of trying to walk with the Lord and learn that he is sovereign he's trustworthy and good. And he's given me so much in here already. And when I get confused, I've got a group of believers that I can go to and say, help me figure this out. You guys sent a bunch of questions in on practical ways to to make sure you know the will of God. And so I've got these these seven seven little, little things that I think Will, will help you to think through. Um, do we have the seven things? I think we do. There we are. I think 
every one of these questions fits in this little grid of seven things, but you, you had a bunch of different questions, some of them were combined, and in a couple of minutes, for the next couple of minutes, I'm just gonna try to like walk you through how this plays out with what we've talked about. That communing with God and seeking his will can make some of these complex things pretty simple. So um, one question was, how do you know if you should be asking for God's will in a day-to-day mundane things versus overcomplicating yourself? If God gave us free will, like, does he really care? Uh, have slash have a specific will for where we live, question mark. What college? If we buy this car now or wait, et cetera. Here's what I would tell you. So, so much of this just is like simple in the book. One, he does care. He cares about every little detail in your life because he loves you and you're his child. So I would say about all those things, 1 Peter 5, 7, cast your cares upon the Lord. Philippians 4, 4 through 9, pray, but pray right. And Philippians 4, 4 through 9 teaches us. It's like the most instructional passage on prayer outside of the, outside of the Lord's prayer in Matthew 6. Uh, and I would say, if you do that, and your goal is not your will, but his, and your goal is to know him better, and you got community around you, and you got the word, He's going to lead you through his spirit and through the community and through the word to the right college. And I'm not oversimplifying this. I've lived these things out. Can making you suffer and go through really hard times really be a part of God's will? And only for some, and only for some and not for others. I would say, yes, the question of suffering can be absolutely part of God's will for you. The whole book of Job I think a good friend of ours, Chris Ferguson, who passed away with a really aggressive and mean form of cancer. God doesn't call everyone to suffer. And if he has called you to suffer, I do believe if it's possible for him to walk closer with one person than another, it seems like you get that double portion of his grace. He is near to the brokenhearted and saves those who are crushed in spirit. Your life may bring him more glory if you're suffering than any of our other lives combined. How do you find true contentment not knowing exactly what God's will is, but trusting that in the end his will is good for me? Oh, well, that just goes back to his will but not yours. And knowing him, the more you get to know the Lord, the more you laugh at what you wanted. And the more, the more, even when you get no's to your stuff and yeses to his, you realize that's so good. I would have never picked that. If you, I tell people all the time, like, if you want an exciting ride, like, drop paganism and come to Christ. Like, paganism is, like, all that you can plan. Wow. Like, Christ is, like, what will happen next? Like, what will today bring? Because the Lord's, like, you have no idea what I have in store for you. It's going to be amazing. It's going to be a great show. Like, it's, like, this wild ride that we take with the Lord, and he goes with us. And he hymns us in before and behind. And so I would say, 
Philippians 4.13 is, is a, a whole passage there about contentment. Romans 12, 1 and 2, offer your bodies as living sacrifices. Uh, the, the book, Knowing God by J.I. Packer, the opening chapter, I would read that. If this is you about how to try and find true contentment and trusting that in the end it will work out. But I would also just read the Bible. You'll be amazed at how it works out for his good and his glory, and it is great. And we have the choice of which side we want to be on. Uh, the will of God is confusing, agreed. Um, but not totally, but yes. Uh, I want to live my life in a way that follows his plan, fulfills his will, but doing so is very difficult, not knowing exactly what his will is for me. I understand being patient is important, but sometimes waiting for God to move in my job, relationships, and life can be frustrating. Dear diary, all right, um, how do I navigate this frustration without forcing these decisions that could potentially be against God's will? First of all, I would say relax. Go hang out with some people. Hear their problems too. It's so easy to get so wrapped up in your world and God serving you and getting your attention. It, when you get in that spot, in that pickle, you need to go hang out with some other people. The best medicine for self-pity is other people's problems. Go serve them. Go help them. And you know what? I, I'm like not kidding. That is loving one another. And when we love one another, it's amazing how our stuff doesn't seem quite as big. And maybe you meet somebody who's gone through exactly what you've been through, and you get a dose of encouragement. I would say read James chapter 4, verses 13 through 15. And I would say one of the best things you could say is, Lord, I'm going to make some plans. Make some plans. I'm going to have a conversation with my boss tomorrow. Like, be a little proactive. Read James 4, 13 through 15 and say, Lord willing. And start beginning to walk that way. Walk in the clear paths of Scripture that you know you can walk. Say, Lord, I'd like to do these things. I think they're fine. Lord willing. And if you're not willing, God, would you stop me cold in my tracks? The Lord never intended us for us to live paralyzed. So I'm going to skip a couple of these. I have all of them here. If you're like, you didn't answer mine, I'll show you the answers. I have them right here. Um, do you believe that God gives us signs to reveal his will to us? And if so, how do you know if it's a sign from him other than it aligns, aligns with his word? I would say, yes, I believe in the leading of the Holy Spirit, but also believe in community that can help verify the legitimacy of this. So for you, I would say read Acts 15. There are all kinds of ideas in Acts chapter 15 about how the church needed to work and operate. People had different opinions. They had different, uh, what they thought was God's will, and they got together, and in community, they were, they were able to sort through the signs and the feelings. I would say community, Christian, godly, biblical community is the best way to help you sort through those feelings. Um, <clears throat> I'll give you a... Um, I'll give you two more real fast, and then I'm going to land the plane. I just saw your post on GroupMeet. Would love to know more practical ways to discern God's will when it comes to a dating relationship. Okay, I'm going to skip the rest of the question, and I'm going to go to the answer. If there's two believers who are aligned 
like not just Christians, but aligned theologically. I get that from 2 Corinthians 6.14. If the man is the spiritual leader, if you have a correct understanding of the purpose of marriage from Ephesians 5, 1 Peter 3, Genesis 1 and 2, if you're attracted to each other, I do think that's important in an attractional society. If you're like, I like them, they kind of gross me out. Friend zone them. Uh, <laughs> if your families, this is my opinion, if your families are in basic agreement, if you know each other, if you know each other's baggage, if you sense you could do more for the kingdom together than apart, and after all of this, if you still like each other, you should just get married. Okay. I don't think it's any more complicated than that. Serious. Don't overcomplicate it. You'll be fine. 22 years later, you'll be fine. <laughs> Heather and I didn't know anything about anything when we got married, and we're doing great. The Lord will walk you through it. Heather's mom did cry before we got engaged. She was sad. Um, <laughs> that's like not, not a true story. I'll explain that later too if you want. She just didn't want her to marry a pastor. She thought she would have to wear frumpy dresses. Um, and so, um, and that I would be poor, which is like kind of true, but not totally. Um, all right. So the, the last one is this, and then I want to land in the gospel and I want us to sing to the Lord because I think this is very important. The, the last one is this. Can prayer change God's mind? And that is one of the biggest things you wrestle with when you want to know the will of God. You really want to think. And I promise you I've been there. I've been there in the last two months. You really want to think. And you love the Lord. And you love his word. And you're in Christian community. You're trying to honor God with your body and your mind and your life. And you pray and you pray and you pray. Well, the Bible does use anthropomorphism which it ascribes human traits to God. And there are passages where it says that God changed his mind. That is what those passages are. They're a way that the writer wrote for us to try to help understand God a little better. But the Bible is also clear that God is not a man, that he should lie or change his mind. There are some mysterious things that if you don't ask for them, Jesus says this in the Sermon on the Mount. James echoes it in James chapter four. There are some mysterious things that if you don't ask for them, the Lord won't give to you. But there are things that you ask for and he doesn't give to you because you ask with wrong motives. But there are other things that you ask for and as much as you're asking for them, Jesus says this in the Sermon on the Mount, you're really asking for a rock when you need a piece of bread. And I will say that I have found more comfort in Jesus, more intimacy with the Father, more communion with the Spirit in no's than yeses. When the Lord denies me something, I find that his chest is strong enough for me to pound on. I find that his word is surprisingly stronger than I remembered. I find that the Holy Spirit's voice is louder than I used to could recall. 
I find the blood of Jesus more precious because I realize how fragile I am. It's been the no's that have taught me the most and brought me closer to the Lord than the yeses. We learn a lot more in those moments. And so, if we go back to John 5, 19, and we see that he did nothing of his own accord because he loves us and the Father loves us. At the end of this series on knowing the will of God, I think the thing we ought to celebrate is that Jesus always knew the will of the Father and he always did it and he did it for us. And so maybe we stop fighting him so much when we really think we deserve that thing or want that thing or want to know that thing. And maybe just for a minute, we just trust and rest and let him be God and let him be good and let him be strong and let him be wiser than us. And just kind of relax. And maybe you realize you've been wanting his directional will, but you haven't submitted to his decreed will or desired will. Well, he's calling you. He's calling you. He's daring you to trust him. And I hope that you will. I hope you'll pursue God by knowing him. I hope you'll find your ministry. I hope you'll be in community. I hope you'll live a life not of your own accord. But if that's not you and you want it to be, it's time to repent and to come to Jesus. And if it is you and you're trying real hard to be all in for Jesus, come to him also. We're all a little broken. We all fall short. And thank God that Jesus never did. He did nothing of his own accord. Jesus, I thank you. You never did anything of your own accord. It just blows my mind. I don't even know how to even understand or properly thank you for that. Even in the garden, you showed us your own accord and that was to leave the cross, but you didn't. Jesus, we will fail a million times between now and when we go to meet you if we live a normal lifespan. We'll miss your will over and over again and you never miss the Father's will one time. So Lord, call us to repentance. Call us back to your will and not ours. Lord, would we find the most joy, be the most satisfied by saying your will be done. Your kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen.